Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful moment and day that you have made. You have chosen to glorify your name. You have, got, you have chosen to put your words in my mouth that I should proclaim to your people words of life, words of truth, words that is able to revive, that is able to bring the dead to life. And I thank you, O oh God, that tonight you will stretch forth your hand to touch and to heal and to build up, to strengthen. As many hearts are down, to motivate and empower them. And I know that tonight, O oh God, you would work your miracle in the life of those who are listening. Let there be a confirmation of your word. In the name of that is above every name, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Today is a great day, as I said. The Father, the great God of heaven and earth, has permitted to him alone be glory and dominion through Jesus Christ forever and ever. By the grace of God, last week I dealt with one of the um, reasons why Jesus was manifested on earth and the reason was to be a curse for us to bear upon himself the curse of the law a transaction which he effected in exchange for our blessing and if you listen to me last week there were seven main curses that I treated according to Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 15 following and which Christ suffered in exchange for our blessings. Now today I will proceed to speak about Jesus, the restorer of the fallen race. Now remember that this series which we are treating is Journey to the Cross. And last week by the grace of God, you saw the work of Christ on the cross. Today I'm not going to deal with it again. I am proceeding from there. But what we will look mainly of what we would look at today would be the restoration power of Christ through the cross and his resurrection. And so we proceed from here. I proceed from here. Um, a more common word which we normally use for the restoration of Christ is salvation. Now salvation deals with so many things. It comes together to make up the word salvation. It deals with everything that Jesus Christ purchased for us through his cross and his resurrection. And this, uh, as said, uh, is a faithful saying, and it is worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Now keep this in mind, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now what I treated last week, the sufferings of Christ satisfies this core mandate of Christ, which is to save sinners. 
Because in order for the Lord to save us, he gave his life for our life. In other words, he offered himself as a lamb without blemish to be slaughtered that our life must be spared. That our life might be spared. I beg your pardon. So this was a hidden wisdom of God which the word could not discern. They could not understand. It was a divine trade, a legal transaction, a divine exchange. You know, the first time that John the Baptist saw Jesus, he exclaimed and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the word. Now when you notice, when you look at that particular chapter, John chapter 1, verse 29, it reveals to you that at the very instant that John the Baptist saw Jesus, the very first time that he saw him, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that the man whom he is seeing would come to settle a divine transaction by which the fallen race would be restored even to life through his death. And that was the meaning of that exclamation, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the word. Now permit me to take you to a journey in the old covenant ceremonial offerings. Now under this covenant, that is the covenant, the old covenant, concerning the ceremonial offerings, under that law, under the old covenant law, when a Jew or a proselyte. Well, when I say a proselyte, it means that a Gentile converted to be a Jew. When such a person sinned, they were required by the Jewish law to offer a lamb without blemish, a lamb without a defect, as an atoning sacrifice for sins. Now God has said of his judgment, that the soul that sin must die. But in that atoning sacrifice of the lamb without blemish, this was what God was showing to the word. God was showing to the word the prefiguration of Jesus Christ. Now let me simplify that word. Now the word prefiguration means an example that foretells a future reality. So God was showing the word, the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Christ as the propitiator, the one who would atone for sins, the one by whose offering of himself, the sacrifice of himself would pardon sins, would cancel sins would blot away sins of the fallen man or the sinner so that was the bigger picture that god was showing under the old covenant through the lamb that was offered to be slaughtered for atonement now 
this is what we see in the coming of Christ. And the reason why when John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the word. There is so much power in that particular verse. Because by it, we understand the role of Christ, the core mandate of Jesus. We understand his messianic mandate, his propitiatory work, which he was to come to do. That is the work of atonement. And it is so much full of glory, miracles, something that whenever I set my mind to think of, it baffles me. Now my heart begins to be stirred with so much praises and gratitude to him who lives forever and ever. So you see, on the one hand, Jesus becomes a representative, a substitute of the fallen race. And on the other hand, we see him as the savior through whom salvation was to be secured. That is true, that sacrifice that he was to effect on the cross. Now, I would say this. I have no need that I should argue with anyone about this. I have not the time for that. This is an undeniable truth. And this is the truth, that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of all human race. You see, those who argue about this argue because they, their understanding is darkened. They cannot receive the twofold personality of Jesus Christ when he came into the world. That he was both God and man, divinity and humanity infused together in bodily form. But this is the truth, that Jesus is both God and man as he was revealed to the world. In, hum he, in his humanity, he tasted our offering, suffering sorry, and our death. In his divinity, Jesus conquered death and rose up from the dead to pave the way to salvation. And so by this infusion of his divine role and his humanity, we very much understand one that it was for us that he came in the form of a man. But as God, it was to save us from our sins. So the whole picture of his humanity and his divinity was revealed through the one man, Jesus. The very time that he came on earth, the very time that he finished the work on the cross. And I want you to keep this in mind. Now today there is four main divine privileges that I want to 
speak of today. And these four divine privileges is for those who believe in Jesus. Now, if you are a believer of Christ, I want you to understand that these four supernatural privileges, divine privileges, are yours for the taking. Don't push it on your pastor. Don't push it on whoever it is that you are seated under to teach you. If you are a child of God, these four privileges belong to you. And these four privileges belong to you because you believe in Jesus as the Savior. Now as many as believe in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, these privileges are yours. And these are the privileges that I would speak of tonight. All come together to confirm the one mighty rule of Christ as the restorer of the fallen race. Now we would go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and um, I would say that it is very important for you to test the spirit of every message with the Holy Scriptures. I always say this, search the truth for yourself. If you want to grow in the knowledge of God's truth, you must be able to test the spirit of every message that you hear by the Holy Scriptures. Now we go to Colossians chapter 2 verse, verse 13 through to 15. Colossians 2 verse 13 through to 15. And I would read from the New King James Version. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, these are the four main divine privileges that I want to speak of tonight. And the first of these privileges is whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, as the Savior, shall be pardoned of all sins. And that is what we see, first of all, in that verse verse 13 of Colossians chapter 2 when he said and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses now if you of course are a little bit of an, a grammar student that is just by the way you would understand that the sentence or the phrase forgiving you your trespasses, precede the made alive from dead. That, that statement of Paul is to be divided into two. And all that Paul is saying is that we have been made alive on the basis or on the very fact that 
God has forgiven us. And so the forgiveness precedes the being made alive. Understand that. And so the first of the divine privilege is that whoever believes in him, Jesus, is pardoned or forgiven of all sins. Now, when Jesus let out that loud cry, it is finished, which was fulfilled on the cross. You know what comes in mind. Your atonement is finished. It was as if Jesus was saying, once I have died for your sins, every condemnation is canceled. Hallelujah. Now, I see something like, the sinner stands in the court, in that high court, where God is seated as a judge. The sinner stands as a defendant. And standing beside him is the plaintiff. And the plaintiff is the one who is bringing a charge against the sinner. And that plaintiff is the accuser. Satan. Now in this court is a very big book and in this book are all the sins that the sinner has ever committed from childhood. Now Satan stands at the court seeking justice against the sinner, that the sinner should be condemned. But at the heat of that accusation, the charges brought forth against the sinner then one walks in the room, his hands and feet bleeding, and with a high soap dipped in blood in his hand. He went where the book was and took the book, wherein was all the sins that the sinner has committed. And with that high soap dipped in blood in his hand, he canceled and blotted out all the sins that the sinner has committed. Then others, showing the prince in his hand, his feet, his side, to all who were gathered, both the angelic host in heaven and all those demonic forces that were gathered, standing there, he said, I have paid the price in full. It is finished. Their sins are now forgiven who believe in me. And that is what I understand when Jesus let out that loud cry and said that it is finished. He has paid the price in full. But all who believe in him they should be pardoned and be forgiven. Now, when you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 25 to 26, Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, now it says, Whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood. It is speaking of Jesus Christ and his atoning work. Through faith, 
to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Now, I love this particular scripture. God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Now, look at verse 26. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. That God might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And so this privilege is for those who have faith in Jesus. God has passed over their sins because of the blood that was shed to wipe out all their sins, to blot out all their sins, to cleanse all their sins, so that there is no more condemnation for such people who are in Christ Jesus. Now this is the first of the privileges. Now the second privilege, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And it says in that particular, I read again. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. Now, the second privilege is this. Whoever believes in Jesus is made alive with him. And I say again, whoever believes in Jesus is made alive with him. The Spirit of God took Ezekiel to a valley full of dead men's bones. Now, the sight of this was so hopeless that Ezekiel couldn't answer when God asked, can these bones live? You see, but at the word of God, according to that scripture in Ezekiel chapter 37, bread entered into these bones, a supernatural life. And these bones were brought to life. The dead were made alive. Now the vision that Ezekiel had, it was to reveal the state of sinners. They are dead to God, but alive to sin. They are dead to righteousness, but alive to wickedness. Their spiritual state is as dry bones in a valley, the valley of death, having no life. But Jesus is risen, and he has commanded us to go with this prophetic word. And this is the word to all sinners, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And he now commands all people, all tribes, all nations to repent and believe in him. And it shall come to pass 
that all who believe in him shall live. This is that prophetic message, the gospel which we preach, that all who believe in him will live. They shall receive his resurrection life. That supernatural power that breaks the dominion of sin and raises the sinner from the valley of spiritual death. Now this is what Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 is saying. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh. It is speaking of that spiritual state. And it goes on to say that he has made a life together with him. That is when Jesus rose from dead. You who believe, you are identified with Christ. So that in the resurrection of Christ Jesus, you have also been raised from that spiritual deadness. And with Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I want to say to you that, let me go a little further. When a sinner believes in Jesus, the Lord Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, breathed into him the new nature, that divine nature of God. The person instantly receives that second birth. And that is why it is said that a person is made alive before he was dead in sin. But the very moment he received the life, that resurrection life of Christ, a new nature is imparted into him. And this is that divine nature of God. It is different from that old nature where the person received through birth. This nature is from heaven. It is the very nature of God, the very divine nature of Christ. And that is why we say that a person is born again. The old things, he says, are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is the meaning of that. Because he has received that new nature, a divine, a supernatural nature, he is no longer of the old self, the old nature. Everything about him is divine, new, supernatural. And that is the miracle of the second birth, the miracle of being born again, the miracle of the resurrection life of Jesus. And so we say that in one word, the person is made alive to God. He is no longer alive to sin, but alive to God, alive to righteousness in Christ Jesus. Now we move on to the third privilege. Whoever believes in the Messiah, Jesus, is released from the law and his curses. That is the third privilege for every believer of Christ. He is released from the law and its curses. Now again Colossians chapter 2 look at verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us 
which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now this is where many are confused. Because the very big question that they ask is, why do we say that Jesus came to fulfill the law and say again that Jesus has released us from the law? He has abolished the law. Many people get confused about this. They cannot reconcile the two. Now, the apostles use the law to mean two things, depending on the context. The law which is of works as a means to achieving righteousness before God, which is the old covenant. And then the law which is by faith. Now under the old covenant, this is what the law says. Do this and you shall live. So under the old covenant, it was by works. Righteousness was to be achieved through works. Keep in mind. Now when you go to Galatians chapter 3 verse 4. Sorry, verse 12. That is what Paul was referring to. He says that the man who does them shall live by them. That is, the man who wants to attain to righteousness must obey all the ceremonial requirements as well as the moral law. Now I want to take it little by little so that you understand. Now, all that the old covenant is saying is that you look at all the laws in the book and you obey, it was solely by works. Now the consequence of missing even one of those requirements under the law of Moses, both ceremonies and the Ten Commandments was curses. And so Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 10, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. Now, I want to, you to notice something. The underlying word here is written in the book of the law. Now, remember what Colossians is saying, the handwriting. That is against us. So, I proceed from here. Moses says, if you want to achieve righteousness or holiness in the sight of God, obey all the ceremonies. You can talk of the circumcision. You can talk of the food, the various sacrifices, animal sacrifices, and all that. As well as the moral law, or what we call love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That is the law of Moses, which was by works. Now I believe that you understand by the grace of God. Bible says that the law came through Moses. But this is the wonder of grace. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now this is what it means. When Jesus died on the cross, he ended the old covenant approach to God. This is the law which is abolished, the law of works. Those ordinances 
and curses written by Moses and were against us because we could not do it without grace. And Jesus says, Righteousness is not achieved by works, but by faith in him alone. So you will see that in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul's defense of the gospel of grace was that we should not even think that we through works can please God. And so he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 3, when he was speaking of the, the Jews, Israel, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And look at what he's saying about salvation. Verse 2, he says that, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Yes, they have a zeal for God, to please God but not according to knowledge. They are ignorant of God's knowledge. Then verse 3, he says that, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And so all that Paul is saying that they thinking that through the works, of the Lord, they can please God. They have not submitted to the righteousness which is of God, the true righteousness which please God, and which is by faith. And so Paul continues through verse 6, Romans chapter 10, verse 6, and he says that by the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. All that he's saying is that do not say in your heart that this is impossible. How can Jesus save me from the gravity of my sins? Do not say that as if it is impossible. As if Jesus is far off. As if salvation is far, far off. But what does it say? Verse 8. The word is near you, even in your mouth. And in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth. The Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart. That God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And so Paul defends. Makes a defense. To the Jewish. Those who were under the law. And he tells them that. It is not the works of the law but rather faith in Jesus. That do not think that it is impossible for the word which we preach, the gospel, it is close to you. You are hearing it every now and then. It is in your mouth. You are close to it, if I may say. It, it is so near you, so close to you. If only you can confess and believe you will be saved. Now remember the old covenant said that do this and you will be saved. But under the new covenant of grace, it is no longer do this and you shall be saved, but rather confess and believe in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord of lords, and you will be saved. 
And so Jesus abolished the law under, or let me say the approach to righteousness under the old covenant. And he fulfills one thing. He fulfills the righteousness, which is of the law. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And he tells us that we can only do that when we look to him, when we believe in him, when we accept his salvific work, his death and his resurrection. And so therefore it is no longer a religion of works. Christianity is not a religion of works, but a religion of love, of compassion, of mercy, and of obedience to the will of the Father. And this is only achieved when we believe in Jesus, when we accept him as the Savior and as the risen Lord. For grace is released through faith in Christ to obey God in love and to treat humanity as God would treat them. Now lastly, the last of the privileges. Whoever believes in Jesus as the Lord and Christ shall overpower devils. Now I say again, Whoever believes in Jesus as the Lord and Christ shall overpower devils. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. And it says in the word of God. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he has made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Jesus tri has triumphed over principalities and powers through the cross. And those who believe shall also enter into his triumph. Now notice something. Now you will notice that Paul did not say victory, but rather triumph. To say victory is not wrong. I am not saying that if you say that Jesus has the victory over Satan, that you are wrong. No. But all that I want to say is that triumph goes farther than victory. Victory is to conquer, is to crash, is to defeat in a battle. But triumph is a celebration of a victory already achieved. And that is the difference, the slight difference between victory and triumph. And so in the mind of Paul, Paul was saying by the Spirit that what Jesus did through the cross was a celebration of a victory which he has already achieved. He was saying that Satan is no match to Christ. And it was not as if on that cross the, that Jesus was now about to conquer the devil. It was rather a celebration, his resurrection, of a victory that is already achieved. 
Now, you would understand that even before Jesus went to the cross, when demons saw him, they bowed. They worshipped him. And what does it tell you? That Satan had no authority over him. And this is what the prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 means when um, God said that the seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. The head means authority. You know, it is just like when we Christians say that Christ is the head of the church. It speaks of his authority, his sovereignty in the church, his preeminence. And so the head there means that Jesus was to come and to destroy the works of the devil, to bruise his head, to disarm him of his authority and power, his dominion. Now understand, not over him, not the dominion of, of the devil over Christ, over Jesus, no. But his dominion over us, his rulership over us, that is what it means. Now on the cross, the cross was just a climax, a consummation of, of something that is already done in the heavenly, something that is already done, which was hidden. And on the cross, Colossians chapter 2.15 says that Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. In other words, he ended the dominion of principalities and powers, demons, devils, all the hosts of hell. He ended their dominion over those who believe in him. And I say again, not their dominion over Christ. From the very onset, Satan has always been a servant to God, to Christ, of his deity, his divinity. And you cannot take it away from Christianity. Jesus went to that cross to celebrate a victory that is already attained. And his resurrection was the fulfillment of that celebration when he rose from the dead. And when he proclaimed to all the world that death and the devil have no power over him. Now, what does it mean to us? What it means to you and to I, and to as many as believe in Jesus, is that we have entered into the victory, the triumph of Jesus Christ. That is, whoever forsakes his will for the will of Christ, share in this same glory and power. They will share in this same triumph. We are not now going to overcome Satan and his forces. We are only to believe. We are only to enter into what Jesus has already done for us. And I want you to understand that. It is a celebration of the victory that Christ has already achieved for us. He says that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Now those of us who believe according to the scripture have also been raised up and made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And so you see, we have entered into his triumph of our principalities and of our powers. It is the resurrection, the restoration of the lost dominion at the Garden of Aden. And so if you have realized what I am teaching you today, even as I conclude, have shown you that Jesus came to restore the fallen race. He to restore us to the likeness of God. That is the second birth. And to restore us to the dominion which Adam lost at the garden. So we are no longer called the fallen generation, but rather the chosen generation. So you see the whole picture. Christ as the restorer of the fallen generation. And as many as believe in him are no longer in that category of the fallen race or the fallen generation. For God now calls us his chosen generation. Hallelujah. Now as I bring my message to an end, I want to say this. If you are listening to this message, and if you are an enemy to this gospel, I say only one word to you. Can you fight God and his word and win? I want you to think about this. Can you fight God and his word and win? For this is the same word that will stand against those who denounce the Lord Jesus. Their condemnation is their rejection of the Lordship of Christ Jesus. Now let us pray. Our God in the highest, who is without beginning and without an end, let mercy's raindrops fall on us tonight, on this nation which is infiltrated with devilish doctrines and teachings and take us back to the message of the cross back to our first love back to the old-fashioned religion of faith of hope and of charity which was in the church in the early days and by which uncountable souls were won for christ jesus Hear this, my prayer, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. God bless you so much for making time with me tonight and for following the teaching to the very end. I know that you have been blessed by the teaching of this gospel. Now, to those of you who may want to reach me or may have a special prayer request, you can call on the line 0558 345 267 
0558-345-267 and lastly 0558-345-267 Do you have a very special um, prayer request or the something that you want to speak of concerning the word which you have heard which you have received you can call on the line which I gave out and by the grace of God I will be here to talk to you I will be available to speak to you God bless you once again as I prepare the way for my sister Melody I want you to still stay tuned for the next program so you can be here next week god willing same time from seven to eight um sorry i would pick your call right after the program so please um call back again after two minutes time please call back again so next week same time from seven to eight I'll be here with the word of God. The Lord bless you. Bye-bye.